Welcome to all of you at our SF campus and those who are joining us online. It's so good to have you and to be here together. Uh, we love you very much and we're so thankful. Those who are sitting outside, hey guys, how's it going? Yep, they're waving. And those of you who are sitting inside here in Emeryville, good to see each and every one of you. God bless you today. Uh, we're in the midst of our Jesus Walks series. And as you can see, that the, the point of this series is very simple. We have focused on the Christian faith as a decision that you make at a point in time. But what we want to focus on in this series is that it's actually a daily walk. And yes, it begins with the decision, but it's a decision to walk with Jesus every day. Now, the way we tend to think about the Christian faith is we kind of tend... I, I actually uh, recently came upon this theory of attraction and repulsion that I thought perfectly explains this. Uh, we tend to think about the Christian faith as what they call a bounded set, if we can put that slide on the screen. A bounded set in which you've got insiders and outsiders. So you've got dots inside the circle. Those are the insiders who know Jesus, who are going to heaven when they die, who are Christians, right? And then outsiders is everyone else who does not know Jesus, who's not going to heaven when they die. So there's this bounded set. Um, but um, if, uh, kind of a metaphor for that is, let's say you're a farmer and um, you've got, let's say, a three-acre farm and you've got 50 cows. So what you do is you build a wall or a fence around that entire farm to keep all of your cows in. But what happens when you have a 200-acre farm with 50,000 cows? You cannot build a wall around 200 acres. So you move from a bounded set mentality to what's called, um, what's the next slide? I can't remember it. A centered set mentality. Thank you. Now, here's what you do if you're a farmer that has 50,000 cows. You put a well, you dig a well in the middle of the farm and have a fresh water source that the cows have to drink from to survive. And so you don't need a wall because you've got a well. You don't need a wall to keep the cows in. You've got a well to keep the cows alive. And if the cows wander off, they die of thirst because there's no source out there. And so let them wander as far as they want to wander. At some point, they're going to come back to the well because they needed to drink. And so we tend to think of the Christian faith as a bounded set. It's not a bounded set. It's actually a centered set. Jesus is the well in the middle. And the point of the Christian faith is actually not like say the prayer and then you're in the circle and everyone who hasn't said the prayers outside of the circle. If you look, you can't see them clearly, but if you look at these dots, they're more like arrows. Notice some of them are pointing towards the circle and some of them are pointing away. Yeah. It's actually about direction and trajectory rather than about whether or not you said a prayer at some point in your life. Wow. What you notice is some of these dots are close to the circle, but pointing away from it. There's actually yeah. some people who are close to Jesus, but pointing away from him. And then there's some that are far away, but pointing at the circle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so C.S. Lewis said that in actuality, there are some Christians, quote unquote, yeah. who are slowly becoming non-Christians. Oh, no. And there are many non-Christians who are slowly becoming Christians. Yeah. The point he's making is there are people who are far from Christ, but who are turning towards him. Yeah. And the trajectory of their life is leading towards Jesus. Yeah, yeah. And there's some people who are in the church, 
serving 25 ministries, but their lives are pointing away from Jesus and the trajectory of their lives is leading them far from him. And so the question is not, are you in the circle or not? The question is, is your life pointing towards Jesus? And so the answer to that question has to do with whether or not you're walking with him every day. And walking with him every day is what it's all about. Now, I want to unpack this a little bit more. Uh, I'm going to look at a passage of scripture here in the book of Mark chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 45 to 52. Mark chapter 6, verses 45 to 52. I think I'm reading this from the NIV. This is what it says. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now, when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone at, on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now, about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled, for they had not understood about the loaves, because their heart was hardened. So what's happened here basically in this passage is that Jesus just got finished feeding the 5,000. He took the bread and the fish and he multiplied it and he fed the 5,000. And then what he does as soon as he finishes feeding the 5,000 is he puts his disciples in a boat and they think they're all going together, but he shoves them off and he stays on land. They're like, Jesus, what's going on? He says, see you later. He gives them no information. He just pushes them out to sea and then walks off and disappears. So the problem in this passage of scripture is distance between Jesus and his disciples. Distance between Jesus and his disciples. And what I mean by his disciples are simply those who have made a decision to follow him. His disciples doesn't mean those who have made a decision to come to church every Sunday or to serve a ministry or to give an offering. Disciples are simply those who have made a decision. I've decided I'm going to follow Jesus. That is, those who have decided to go on the walk. But what we experience as disciples of Jesus is that there's distance between us and him. And there are things in our lives that distance us from Jesus. And so the sea represents the things that distance the disciples from Jesus. And the whole question of the passage is what bridges the gap? What closes the distance between Jesus and his disciples? That is, when you find yourself in the middle of your sea, distanced from Jesus because of what's going on in your life, be it sin, be it abuse, be it tribulation, be it trials, be it lies that you're believing in your mind, be it persecution or family members who are trying to stop you from walking with Jesus, be it situations that seem that they don't stop, whatever it is that causes you to feel like there's distance between you and Jesus, the question is, what closes the gap? 
The hard thing about this passage is that Jesus is the one who creates the distance. That's pretty devastating, isn't it? Jesus sends them away. He creates distance on purpose. He creates the distance between him and them to teach them how to close the distance between he and them. That is, oftentimes we don't realize the tribulations that we walk through in life. God allows us to walk into those situations at times purposefully, intentionally, so that he can teach us something. We see this in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8, when Moses is talking to the people of Israel and remind they just got done with the 40 years. They're finishing up the 40 years. And Moses tells them, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years. Why? To humble you and to test you in order to see what was in your heart, whether or not you would obey his commands. And then he says, he humbled you, causing you to hunger. He caused you to hunger, meaning he knew that there would be days when you wouldn't have any food. And he did it on purpose. He knew that there'd be moments when you didn't have any water. He did it on purpose. Why? He humbled you, causing you to hunger. Oh, and then he fed you with manna. Why would he do that? To teach you that you don't live by bread alone. Yeah but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That is, he created hunger in you so that he could satisfy it. He created thirst in you so that he could satisfy it. He he allows you to walk through trials so that he can break through in your trials. He allows you to walk into a valley so that he can show you that he can lead you out of that valley. Many of you right now, you're walking through a circumstance or a situation in which you feel distance between you and Jesus. Watch what God does. He pushes them off, sends them away in the boat. They don't know what's going on. They don't know why. Jesus does not give information. I said last Sunday that we like to think of the Holy Spirit as GPS. He is not GPS. GPS tells you your destination and the exact route to get to your destination and exactly how long it's going to take. You get an ETA and everything with GPS. Holy Spirit doesn't give you that. He neither tells you the destination nor how long it's going to take you to get there nor the route. He simply says, follow me. That's all Jesus does. Mm -hmm. Follow me. And so the disciples said, we'll follow you. And then he says, you're going to follow me? They say, yeah. Then he says, get in the boat. They get in the boat. He goes, see you later. (laughs) You're going to follow me? Yes, I'm going to follow you. Good. See you later. And then it says he departed. He left. He went to a high mountain to pray. Jesus is up on the mountain. And the disciples are out at sea. And it says he went to the mountain to pray. First of all, He's creating an example for them. That he creates space in his life for walking with the Father. Even if creating that space means separating himself for a time from the people he loves the most in the world. He created an example for us that it feels unloving. But it's actually the most loving thing you can do. It feels like neglect. But it's actually the the thing that shows the most care that you could possibly do is to create consistent space for God in your life on a daily basis. Even if it means stepping away temporarily 
from the people you love the most in the world. He creates space for the Father. And the scripture said that when evening came, they were together in the sea, and he was alone on land. They had this fellowship, this community in the sea, but Jesus wasn't in their community. Isn't it interesting that community is not everything? There's actually a community idolatry in the church today. Everything's about a community. You hear this, we ask the average Christian, what is the church? The church is a community. It's a community. It's a community. It's a community. And what we mean by that is about us connecting with one another and about us being with one another and liking one another and loving one another and caring for one another and, and building deeper relationships with one another. You can have a community at sea and Jesus not be a part of it at all. They were together, but they were in the sea and Jesus was alone on land. He didn't have any community there. But that's where Jesus was at evening. Evening means probably about six o'clock at night. There were actually four watches to the night in ancient Israel. The first watch of the night was from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. Second watch of the night, 9 p.m. to midnight. Third watch of the night, midnight to 3 a.m. Fourth watch of the night, 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. Evening came about six o'clock in the evening. First watch of the night, he pushes them off. The Sea of Galilee is small. It t in a boat, it takes a couple hours to cross it. I've crossed the Sea of Galilee in a boat, and it took us a couple hours to cross it. It was awesome. We were out there singing, and Mary had a baby. Hey. I mean, it was just, you know, we're, we're singing. We're, we're just imagining Jesus and his disciples out there on the Sea of Galilee. It took us a couple hours. It was over quickly. But the scripture says, in the third watch of the night, he saw them straining at the oars. In the third watch of the night, meaning he pushes them off about 6 a.m., I'm mean 6 p.m., but by 3 a.m., they still were in the middle. What should have taken two hours... They've now been at it for nine hours, and they still have not made any progress. They're in the middle of the thing. You ever had a trial in your life that went on for so long, you thought, I should have been out of this by now. Yeah. Yeah. I should have been able to kick this by now. I should be over this by now. I shouldn't still be struggling with this. Why is this taking so long? Yeah, yeah. And I heard six testimonies from people who beat it in five minutes. And Jesus is just up on the mountain chilling, and he looks, he's looking down at them. But he doesn't even look at them until the third, the third watch of the night, or the fourth watch of the night. He looks about 3 a.m., and he sees them out there just straining. Straining. Yeah. Striving. Working so hard and making no progress. Yeah. Working with all of their might, and their strength is almost gone. Yeah. And Jesus is just chilling, just up on the mountain eating popcorn. He says, all right, Father, I think I've spent enough time with you. And so what he does is he comes down the mountain, goes down to the shore of the sea, and steps out on the water and just starts strolling. <laughs> They're straining. Wow. He's strolling. 
He's just walking. What is a massive trial for you is just a stroll for Jesus. That's all it is. And what we don't realize is that when Jesus says, come and follow me, come and walk with me, he's actually inviting you to stroll over that, for you, which for you is a massive trial. He comes walking on the water, on the sea, which represents the distance. Because they're striving to try to close the distance between themselves and Jesus. They're striving to try to fulfill his will, to try to obey his commands, to try to get back into the place of connection and fellowship with him. They're striving to close the distance and Jesus is strolling. And he just walks right through the storm and comes right up on their boat. But it says he would have passed them by. He's, it says he came to them, meaning he's coming to them. He's not just out for a stroll. He's strolling to them, but then it says he would have passed them by. Well, now, which is right? Is he coming to them or is he coming to pass them by? And the answer is yes. He's coming to them, but they still have a choice. Yeah, yeah. Jesus is coming like every time we come to gather, every time you, every time we gather in this place, Jesus is coming to each of you. Yeah. But you still have a choice. Wow. Jesus is walking right to you, but will pass you by if you don't invite him into your boat. That is, they have an opportunity. There's a moment. But Leonard Ravenhill said the opportunity of a lifetime must be grasped within the lifetime of the opportunity. Yeah. Every opportunity has a shelf life. Yeah. Every moment. The prophet Isaiah said, seek the Lord while he may be found. Yeah. Call upon him while he is near. Yeah. Meaning there's a window of opportunity. Every time God draws near, every time Jesus walks across your water, there's an opportunity. There's a moment. And if you don't call upon him in that moment, he passes you right by and you just keep straining at the oars. Yeah. You just keep striving to make a difference. You keep using your strength, but he comes to you at the moment where you're at the end of your strength. Yeah. Where you got no more strength. Yeah. Where you don't have a choice. Yeah. And it says, when they saw him, they were distressed. <laughs> they thought he was a ghost. Yeah. And they cried out. When they saw him, they were distressed. Whenever God's answer appears in the midst of our struggle... It's distressing because God's answer is always, it's a piece of cake. Just follow me. Yeah. And my response is always, it can't be that easy. Yeah. It can't be that easy. Just this last week, I was crying out to God. I was like, God, I need breakthrough. And there's got to be breakthrough. And I, what do I have to do to breakthrough? And I'm thinking God's going to say, start fasting, 40 days of fasting and, and breakthrough prayer and, and crying out. And, and you're going to spend five hours a day in prayer and you're going to break through these things. And the Lord spoke to me and said, I already gave you the answer. I've called you to this journaling thing. Just do that. And I'm like, what's that going to do? Self-therapy? Make me feel better? I sleep better at night? And the Lord said, I've given you my answer, but you don't think it's good enough. Because you want me to give you something hard. You want me to give you something rough. 
If God were to say to you, climb this mountain and then you'll break through. Okay, her, I'm going to climb this mountain. God says, get up at 5 a.m. every morning and speak in tongues for two and a half hours and then you'll break through. Okay, yes, I'm going to get up. But Jesus just comes walking. As they're straining, he's strolling. And when he comes strolling into your straining, he's inviting you to stroll with him. And that's distressing. It's distressing because I feel like if I stop straining, I'm going to go backwards. I've been straining for so long and fighting so hard to keep from going backwards. If I stop my straining and Jesus says, no, 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 no. You can keep straining, but you're losing strength anyway. And it's distressing. And he speaks to them and he says, don't be afraid. Be of good cheer. It is I. And they're still freaking out. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So he climbs in the boat with them. Put down those oars. Just stop. Stop striving. Stop trying. Stop working so hard. Didn't I tell you, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest? Didn't I tell you my yoke is easy and my burden is light? Watch this. Put down the oars. And they put down the oars. And all of a sudden, there's a calm. The storm stops. The wind stops. And it says, I got to read it to you. Because I can't call it to mind. And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure. This is the end of verse 51. And they marveled, verse 52, for they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. Which means this is the second time Jesus was trying to teach them the same lesson. They missed it the first time, so he pushed them out into the deep to come at it from another direction. And what was the lesson about the loaves? It happened earlier in this chapter where there's a crowd of people that Jesus has been teaching for three days and they've got no food and no water. And the disciples come to Jesus and say, send the crowd away so that they can find food. And Jesus says, no, you give them something to eat. And what do they say? Even a a, a month's wages would not be enough to buy enough food for each one of these people to have a bite. Jesus says, well, what do you have? He said, we got this little boy's lunch. Jesus said, well, bring it to me. And then he takes the bread and he blesses it and he breaks it and he multiplies it and he gives it. And the disciples take the bread and the fish and they feed the multitude of people. And then there's 12 baskets left over. And Jesus looks into their eyes and goes, they didn't get it. Hop into the boat, guys. And they hop in the boat and he pushes them off. See you later. I'm coming at this from another level. What was the lesson they were supposed to get from the loaves? It's not by your power. Yeah, yeah. When Jesus said, feed them, the first thing they thought was, we better go work, make money, and then take our wages and go buy. They thought he was telling them, I expect you to do this by your own power and your own strength. And he says, no, just bring me what you got. Yeah. Just bring me what you got. The whole point of the feeding of the 5,000, the whole lesson of the loaves, was Jesus saying to them, stop striving. Stop straining. Just walk with me. 
Just walk with me. And what's lacking, I will fill the distance. If you've only got a little boy's lunch, but you need to feed 5,000, I'll feed the other 4,999. Just bring me the lunch. I'll fill the distance. And now he puts them out in the lake and he says, are you striving against the wind? I'll cover the distance. Maybe in your striving, you can, you're trying to make it 10 miles to get back to me, but in your striving, you can only make it 10 feet. I will cover the other 4.9999 miles. You just stop striving and start strolling. Yeah. And the whole point of today's message is that whatever your sea is, Jesus is able to walk over it. Wow. Amen. And to get to you, he will walk over any sea. <laughs> yes. He loves you so much, he'll walk over anything to get to you. Yeah. He wants to move you from straining to strolling. Amen. It's just a walk. That's all it is. The darkest sea or the deepest storm cannot separate you from Jesus. Yeah. He'll walk right over it. Amen. The wind cannot resist him. Yeah. The waves cannot toss him. Yeah. He's able to come to you in the midst of your storm. Yeah. We've got one more piece of the video from Pastor Sonny to pray, uh, to play for you, and then I'm going to come back and pray with you. And as soon as that video is done, I'm going to hand it over to Pastor Jeremy on the SF side, and uh, he's going to pray with you on that side, and I'll pray with everyone on this side. Watch this. So, you know, it's been 30 years. And when I made that decision 30 years ago, I had no idea. Because it started out with, you know, my first pro- like leadership or a service to God, I remember, was I, was I was a Sunday school teacher for preschoolers. These were three-year-olds. But you know, I took it seriously. Even though I was a first time Sunday school teacher for a three-year-old, you know, I, I had like five kids. I pray for this, those children, I remember. I would call them during the week. I would ask their parents if I could take them out to get McDonald's um, ice cream. I think I'm teary because Like, I know who they are, and I see them on Facebook, you know? And they're married, and they're, like, in 30s. You know, they're heck old right now. And it didn't happen all in, like, one day, but little by little, you know? And then, many years later, I had no idea that that I was going to be an ordained pastor. I was going to marry a pastor. I didn't know I was going to be planting a church. I didn't know God was going to send me to Indonesia, you know, Sudan, Ethiopia, Mexico, Thailand, Philippines, <laughs> Myanmar. I didn't know that when I said yes to walk with Jesus through that, that simple quiet time with the Lord, that many years later I would be all over the world seeing the bound get free, seeing the blind see and lame walk. I didn't even believe that woman could be called to full-time ministry when I first said yes to this walk with Jesus. 
but walking with Jesus. It's not even about me. You know, it's not about me finding my destiny, which is great. But I get to be close to the one that I love. I said yes. I went to Bible college. Not because I was not because I was searching for my destiny. It's because I just loved Jesus and I just wanted to learn more about that Jesus that I loved. And I'm reminded by sharing this testimony that I'm here. I'm a pastor because I love Jesus. And I want people to know this Jesus that I know. And I know it worked for me. When you commit to spend daily time with God, to walk with God, whether you understand it or not, whether you know how to do it or not, just simple steps of spending time with God every day and walking with God, you you have no idea where you're going to end up in in five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. Here I am as the co-pastor of Lineage Church. Amen. Is that good? Okay. Testing. I want to pray with you in a moment. But before I do, I want to give you a very practical invitation. Walking with Jesus is the thing that's missing from contemporary American Christianity in general. Walking with Jesus has been replaced by going to church every Sunday. The church has been Christian on behalf of its members. So a Christian is someone who participates in church activities. And if If, let's say, a communist regime took over our country and shut down the churches, I think it's a sad commentary that the majority of Christians would immediately cease to be Christian. Because the majority of Christians in the body of Christ don't actually have a daily walk with Jesus. They simply have consistent participation in church activities. So I pray at the prayer meeting. I worship at the worship service. I study the Bible at the Bible study. I fellowship at the community group. And don't get me wrong, all of those things are important. But what I want to challenge each and every one of you to is that if you've made a decision to follow Jesus, create a daily habit of intentional interaction with Him. Yes, the worship service is important. The Bible says don't forsake it. The community groups are important. The Bible says don't forsake it. The prayer meetings are important. All of that is important. I'm not saying that to say that stuff's not important. I'm saying that to say that what's actually more important and that's foundational to all of that is a daily habit of intentional engagement with Jesus. 
And I'm going to invite you, if you don't know how to do that, I'm going to give you a very simple process for that. If you can just put it up on the screen. This is just a simple process. This is the process that my wife practiced that changed her life. This is what her sister invited her to do when she was clubbing, when she was getting drunk, when she was out doing drugs, when she was partying all night. She didn't talk about the kind of drugs that she did and the stuff that she was involved in. What got her out of all of that, what changed her life, what brought her to where she is today, was doing this every day. And within a six-month period, her life was completely changed. And maybe you already have your process. So I'm not saying that everybody needs to do this. But if, if you don't know how to do this, I want to just give you just a very simple, practical way to get started. So the first thing you do is... It's easy if you just get yourself a journal, but if you don't have a journal, you can use your computer. You can just do it in an Evernote file or whatever, or Google Doc. Read one chapter out of the Bible. It's good to start with the book of Mark. It's a good suggestion. Or you can start with the book of John. Sonny, my wife, she started with the book of John. Um, just read one chapter. Open the Bible, read one chapter. That in and of itself is powerful. Just read one chapter out of the Bible every day. Second thing, pick one verse out of that chapter and then write it down at the top of your page in the journal. And then number two, write a prayer. And try to use the words of the verse in the prayer. And then there's three points to the prayer that I would encourage you to just do your best to articulate to God. Number one, thank Him for something. Just give thanks every day. Number two, ask Him for help. Just ask for help for something. And then number three, surrender. Say, God, I surrender to you. Lord, I thank you. Lord, I need you. Lord, I surrender. And just do that every day. It's simple, but it's so powerful because all it does is it makes room for him. Yeah. It makes space for Jesus. And there's no, almost nothing more powerful you can do than make consistent space for Jesus in your life on a daily basis. Now I'm going to ask you all to bow your head and close your eyes and we're going to pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would take the words that were spoken today and implant them in every heart like seeds sown in good soil. And I pray right now in the name of the Lord Jesus that you would remove the stones and the weeds from our soil. That you would soften our hearts now. That our hearts would open to receive Jesus. Right now in this place, I'm going to do something that we haven't done very often. We're going to start doing it more and more. But with nobody looking around, every eye closed, every head bowed. I'm just going to put out this invitation that you're ready to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior and begin your walk with Him. The decision is simply the beginning of the walk. And maybe you've never acknowledged that I'm making a clear decision today to walk with Jesus, to begin that walk with Him.
And I'm going to ask you to make that decision if your heart is inclined to do so simply by looking up in a moment and just making eye contact with me. Nobody's looking around. That's all I'm asking is if you just look up and make eye contact with me in a moment when I ask you to, when I invite you to. That will be your way of acknowledging before the Lord that you've made a decision to take that walk with Jesus, that lifelong walk. And if that's you, you can just go up and just lift up your head and make eye contact with me now. I see you. I see you. Thank you. I see you. Thank you. I see you. Thank you. If you're watching us online, maybe send me an email, pb at lineage.us. We used to ask you to drop it in the chat and expose yourself. And if you can do that, that's great. But if you don't feel comfortable doing that, you can just drop me an email, pb, as in peanut butter, at lineage.us. And just let me know. That's, that would be your eye contact. It would be e-contact. Father, I thank you for those who made this powerful decision today. It's so simple, but yet so profound. Lives change because of moments like these. And just like my wife could not have perceived how you would change her life because of that simple decision. Lord, my heart is filled with expectation to see what you will do for those who made that simple decision. I give you praise. And I pray for each and every one under the sound of my voice that you would protect them from the evil one. That you would keep them from all hurt, harm, or danger. That you would show them the wonder of your great love. And that you would pour out your spirit in each and every one of their hearts. I pray it in Jesus' mighty name. 